Good morning, this is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, I am so excited. We have a New York Times bestselling author in our studio today, Mr. Duff McDonald, who has just hot off the press his new book, The Golden Passport. Duff, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, if you could, why don't you take a little time to share with our audience your extremely impressive background. <laughs> I, uh, well, I'm Canadian. I uh, went to uh, Wharton as an undergrad, spent two years on Wall Street before deciding to seek my fortune in journalism instead. And since then, uh, worked on staff at a couple magazines, uh, but in the last uh, 15 years or so, was a freelance writer for Fortune, Vanity Fair, Esquire, and uh, in the last 10 years have written uh, three books. Uh, this is my third one, and it is about Harvard Business School. The Golden Passport. I was on the train uh, last weekend reading the Sunday New York Times. Or what, no, I'm sorry, it was the Wall Street Journal, weekend edition. And I saw this title, and then I saw that you, of course, were the author of the previous book on McKinsey. What prompted you to title this book, The Golden Passport? Uh, that's a great question. I was, um, in, in researching the book, I was just reading uh, as much as I could. Uh, Harvard Business School's been around for over 100 years, and so there was a lot to read. And I was reading a New York Times article from the 1970s. And uh, if memory serves, it was on the occasion uh, when MBA uh, starting salaries had just topped 25000 a year. And the author of the article uh, uh, wrote a phrase he said it really is true a degree uh, MBA degree from Harvard Business School really is a golden passport to a life of wealth and influence or something so I saw that and actually called my editor and said I've got the title for the book and uh, publishers um, uh, whenever the author says that they always say why don't you work on the book we'll get back to that when we're done uh, and also, we're pretty good at naming books ourselves. And I said, that's fine, but I've got the title for the book. And she said, all right, what is it? And I said, The Golden Passport. And she said, okay, you've got the title for the book. Excellent, excellent. And before the title of the book, what was your hypothesis that you said, you know what, this particular topic is of great interest, it's timely, I'm going to dedicate two to three years to this project? You know, it, I, it was less a thesis than a uh, repeat of the thing that I had done with my previous book, The Firm, uh, which is a history of the consulting firm McKinsey and & Company. Uh, and what I did with that book was tell the story of the management consulting industry through the prism of McKinsey. It's... Uh, biggest brand and most prominent brand and uh, when casting about for an idea for another book uh, it just occurred to me well with the suggestion of a friend uh, to sort of make a lateral move and tell the story of the history of the institution of the MBA through its most prominent brand 
Harvard Business School. So the idea that I sold uh, Harper Business, my publisher on, wasn't uh, a specific thesis. It was, we should tell this huge story using HBS as our focal point. And um, uh, Hollis Heimbach, my, my editor, uh, bought the book on that um, basis alone and said, well, let's find out what you know, kind of influence this school has had. So we didn't really have a thesis to start. And so you started, you started your research, and then, of course, the book started to unfold during your research. Yeah. How did it make you feel in your gut about what you found? Well, it's interesting because if you um, – I love the history uh, part of this stuff, and it's in the firm, and it's in the Golden Passport. And uh, I think readers will tell you, because they've told me, that both books – start a little slower and then pick up speed as they go along. And that happened in this one, but it was for, it, I actually, it wasn't because I got momentum as a writer, it was because uh, a change in emotion. If you have, if you look at the first half of the 20th century, um, you, you could almost say that the majority of the contributions of HBS to society and to its graduates' lives and the organizations they worked for was almost uniformly positive. And then somewhere along the way, uh, they, it, it turned and um, they became uh, more focused on their own uh, well-being uh, than the well-being of society. And so by the end of the book, I was almost writing in a froth. I was so um, angry about what I was uh, reading and seeing and speaking to people about. So, uh, you know, anyone who um, decides to make it through the almost 600 pages of the book uh, will surely see that somewhere in there uh, things take a bit of a turn and... Um, the momentum picks up because uh, my emotions were causing it to. What were some of the common threads that caused that emotion of froth and somewhat anger? Well, the the school was, when HBS was founded, uh, you know, Harvard had existed for uh, centuries already. I don't know when it was founded, um, but... 1700s, maybe? 1600s, something like something that. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So in early 1900s, um, uh, some people at Harvard uh, put forth the idea of a business school to the powers that be at Harvard. And, and bo both the faculty and, and you know, a, a succession of deans weren't that impressed with the idea because they said, we're not a vocational school. You know, we're, we don't, we don't want to be a offer a career accelerator. We're about, we're a a place of the mind and in search of truth. What what reason should we have to be teaching business? And, uh, and some English professor actually said, um, you know, what sully the robes of Chaucer with coins of gold or something. And uh, the way they got it past uh, their skeptics was to say, no, 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 we're not just a training ground for accountants or, or salespeople. Uh, what we want to do is create an enlightened managerial elite that understands their responsibilities not only to themselves but to the organizations they work for and the rest of society. 
and it would seem uh, that they uh, did as good a job as they could of sticking to that um, uh, mission in its early years. And then, uh, you know, around the time of uh, the 70s when American managers were shown to be a little asleep at the wheel, uh, and that gave rise to the shareholder revolt that led to shareholder capitalism, HBS pretty much pivoted on a dime and uh, bought into everything about shareholder capitalism, one of the assumptions of which is that managers uh, can't be trusted uh, to act in the best interests of shareholders and, and uh, we need to um, motivate them with the carrot on the stick of stock options. And so it was a 180 uh, for the school, whereas before all they had professed was the importance of managerial judgment, uh, then they flipped around and uh, went the other way and from that point started sending everyone to Wall Street and it just became a huge money grab. And so based upon your discussions in your interviews, uh, I'm sure you, you talked to several folks from Harvard B School. Um, what was their reaction to your questions that you would ask them? Um, and as they learned more about the book, did they seem to have any remorse or? It varies. Uh, you know, you ask different interview subjects different questions depending on what, what your reason is for having them in the book uh, or what you think it, they'll be in the book for. Uh, the book opens with uh, Casey Gerald, who was the Class Day speaker in 2014. And <clears throat> his speech went viral. HBS even put his face on fundraising posters, and he so he was their poster boy. And the speech was all about, you know, making the world a better place, talking to his fellow students, here's what, we, what lies ahead for us. And I spoke to him, and I said, so is HBS delivering on its promise? And he said, no, it's not. It could, uh, but the tragedy is that um, for all its resources and well-intentioned faculty, uh, they have failed miserably at, uh, you know, convincing its students of the, the ultimate purpose of their role as, uh, quote, future leaders. So, you know, he's a recent grad. I spoke to grads from the 50s and 60s who were disappointed with the school. Um, you know, on the other hand, Almost to a man, everyone who went there credits the case method of teaching with giving them a problem-solving ability and a way to, you know, distill facts and make decisions more effectively. Uh, so, you know, people have point, different points of view about the, the influence of the school, but almost uniformly, the influence on themselves uh, everyone has viewed it positively. As I say in the book, they don't have too many unhappy customers. <laughs> and so uh, you, you started with the history of, of, of Harvard, and then you, of course, you in, in the book, it's, it's laid out very nicely, um, and the chapters are nice chunks of, of, of information. Um, you saw the change in, this, in the 70s to what was happening. Um, of course, with the 80s, we all know the Wall Street movie, Greed is, the, the famous saying is, Greed is good. You felt that that is what just took over the, uh, the motivation of the Harvard graduates? Yeah, you know, um, I won't begrudge anyone a desire to advance their career, to increase their earning potential, 
Um, and that's, you know, those are two of the reasons people go to Harvard Business School. Uh, my bigger problem uh, in the book is less, it's not with the students, it's with the faculty and with the administration who as part of a great university should have remained or tried to remain as focused as they could on, um, you know, if, if the pursuit of truth can be reworded as how to live a life, right? We all have our own personal truths. Uh, the answer can't be get rich and it can't be how to get to the top. It's gotta be what you do when you get there. Uh, why do you want wealth? Uh, is capitalism, uh, as it is currently structured, you know, structured for the long term? And, and what you can see is that both the faculty and administration themselves just decided to go for the money. They all consult for the companies that they're supposed to be objective um, researchers of. They sit on boards. They ask companies for money to fund, quote, research about them that they then let the companies look over before it's published. Uh, you know, even the dean of the school sits on company boards. I don't know how someone who's running the largest elite business school in the world has time to do anything other than doing that. But in addition to that, it would seem to me that it's the purest conflict you could ever see. Why are you on the board of a public corporation uh, and being paid to give that corporation the uh, good seal of Harvard Business School? Uh, the only explanation that even makes the slightest bit of sense is you're doing it for the money and um, uh, it it just devolved to the point where everyone there has their hand in the till you know we, we talk about motivations our show leadership always focus on on leaders who are motivated to do the right things and making sure that uh, I guess in Sun Tzu's words that every person is rewarded for their level of input and unfortunately what we've seen time and time again is where you, you know, the New York Times uh, does their annual CEO survey of salaries and you see, and I don't begrudge anyone for, uh, for, for being paid for, for what they deliver, but when you talk about the rank and file, uh, the people who are actually doing the work not being included in those rewards, uh, it, it does make you shake your head and wonder how we're going to move ahead as a society because my father would always say to me, son, you can only wear one pair of shoes at a time. You don't need 88 pair of shoes. You know, it's a great point because <clears throat> there are certain circumstances where you can actually look at a single person's contribution to a gigantic enterprise and say, huh, you know what, maybe they really are worth all that. Uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, George Clooney, Right. You know, these guys get a bigger cut of the action because without them, none of it would happen. I cannot possibly uh, comprehend how uh, sure it's a hard job to run a big company. I, I say that not having run one, but I assume it is. Uh, and it's stressful and um, you're at risk of being fired. 
because of impatient shareholders. But when one, the fact that one person, uh, you know, if you pay a CEO, I think Marissa Mayer of uh, Yahoo is getting a hundred and something. I just read an article today. The new, the name of the company is going to be Oath. And she's getting about two hundred million plus severance benefits. Right. So for <laughs> failing to uh, fix a failing company, uh, somehow, somewhere in the minds of the MBA class, uh, they have concluded that this is perfectly acceptable. Uh, and and uh, one way that HBS contributes to that is by what what uh, people call the cult of the CEO. It's where we. Uh, make a mistake that I learned when I, uh, the term when I was writing my last book, anthropomorphic fallacy, where because it's harder to wrap your heads around uh, an organization, we personify it, and we personify it in the form of the CEO. That's why Jack Welch was GE. That's why, you know, I wrote a book about Jamie Dimon and J.P. Oh, yes. Morgan Chase. I did the same thing. And um, Steve Jobs. <laughs> Steve, jo- Steve Jobs, on the other hand, may be more crucial than your average CEO. And, um, you know, their sense of uh, uh, moral right to lead, their destiny as leaders, and the rewards that they deserve is so far out of whack that it is literally incomprehensible to the man on the street. So HBS has a lot to answer for in the CEO to work a pay gap. So I'd like to step back for a second and talk about the, the case study method, which I agree with you. It's, it, it's, it's phenomenal. I've been through uh, graduate school and we use the you know Harvard uh, Bay case studies why is it so special the case study method why why what is the magic of the case study well uh, let me clarify I don't think it is uh, all good I think that um, having spoken to uh, very successful people who um, uh, credit it with playing a part in their effectiveness and their capabilities uh, the fact that it is a class participation-focused uh, way of teaching where uh, you live or die uh, based on, A, the approval of your peers, but more importantly, the, your ability to articulate uh, a course of action more mm-hmm. or less effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's clearly a good training ground for speaking publicly, for... Uh, marshalling your arguments uh, persuasively uh, for being able to uh, respond on the spot because at least at HBS they don't know who's getting called so all of those things are certainly valuable in various areas of life Um, I think one of the Achilles heels of the method though is that in order to encourage students to speak without fear and anxiety, uh, you know, they repeat and insist that there is no right answer to any particular business situation. There are only uh, more or less effectively argued answers. And in large part, sure, that's the case, right? You know, should we expand the factory here? Should we expand it there? Should we do this? Should we do that? There's an infinite number of responses to that that are all totally acceptable. But I think what happens is um, it, it blurs their mind to the fact that there are some answers that are more right than other ones. 
And I think there's sort of a moral ambiguity that comes out of the case method that uh, can lead people to uh, make decisions uh, that in their heart of hearts, they know that uh, there's a right answer and a wrong one. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Duff McDonald, the author of The Golden Passport, and also his previous New York Times bestseller, The Firm, which was based upon McKinsey. And how do you see a way forward out of this? I mean, does Harvard, does HBS offer, an, I'm sure they have an ethics class. They do. Uh, although, as I point out in the book, it took them 100 years to put a full-year ethics class in their first-year curriculum. They claim to be thinking about it the whole time. Uh, and I have some sympathy for the fact that the ambitious cohort that is the MBA student uh, has less patience for philosophical discussions than they do for practical things like finance classes, uh, uh, effective communication, what have you. So uh, I, I do uh, understand the challenge in integrating ethics into a curriculum and wouldn't uh, deign to have the answer for that. There's lots of really smart people trying to figure that out. Um, every single day. There's even a book that came out recently from a couple Harvard professors about um, charting a way forward with the new curriculum. Here's a couple of things you could do out of the gate. Um, put a cap on the amount of money your faculty makes consulting. Uh, why do they have to have two jobs? And uh, sure, uh, I understand that if you are a famous professor that you think you should have a right to cash in on that a little, but I think it's totally out of whack there. Uh, th the most successful of them make multiples uh, doing side consulting. Uh, how about disclose those consulting gigs? I mentioned in the book that uh, one of the most famous professors at the school, Rosabeth Boss Cantor, uh, uh, who God knows what her specialty is. I think it, to me it's, it's, it's cheerleading. Uh, she has had more great things to say about IBM over the years than almost any business school professor you could name. She's been on their payroll at least part of that time. Uh, so they could disclose that. Uh, they could start, they could separate the case method from its corporate donors, right? If you, if, if you are raising money from corporations to fund uh, the writing of case studies about them, uh, the result is obvious and inevitable. There will be positive bias. And in particular, they will do what all these cases do, which is try to claim foresight when there was generally circumstance and luck, right? And so they could clean up the, the connection between money and um, research there. Uh, and it, so a whole bunch of things could be done on the, they could, the dean should stop sitting on corporate boards. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot, I don't doubt that the teaching of ethics and of social enterprise at Harvard is taught sincerely uh, and by very well-meaning people. But if you look at the actions of the faculty and the administration, which, as we all know, uh, speak louder than words, it, it, it's no wonder that 
you get a bunch of graduate students or, or graduates uh, who can pay lip service to ethics and then act in ways contrary to that. That's exactly what the people who run that school do. So it's no wonder that they're not learning uh, the right thing to do when the people who are supposed to be teaching them uh, uh, are throwing up contradictory signals to them every single day. So once the reader finishes this book, do you have a particular hope or common thread that they come away with which will help, help to move our country, our world, our, you know, into a better light when it comes to ethics? You know, um, I know it sounds like, you know, apple pie and motherhood and baseball sure. and all that, but... And, and I don't consider myself a moralist and don't want to tell people what they should value. Uh, if you value money more than beauty, knock yourself out. Go try and get some more money. Um, but it, MBA schools have turned into something resembling a factory. And, uh, you know, if all I have achieved and can achieve is starting a conversation uh, among both faculty and students about why are we doing what we're doing? And instead of spending time on silly ideas like, um, and I'm, maybe you, you guys have bought into this one, so I apologize in advance, authentic leadership, which has been, uh, you know, pushed by Bill George there, right. to me is like a, you know, the rewards of being the boss aren't just being the boss. It's, it's about you can feel really good about being the boss when it's like maybe you should be thinking about the other people. And, you know, if these are young minds, they're smart people, they're ambitious people. But as Casey Gerald said, it's like a two-year course in uh, psychotherapy. If, you, if you've got it all figured out, you don't need to go to Harvard Business School. People go to Harvard Business School because they, they want direction. They want to figure out what to do with their lives. And if they could tilt the balance a little more back towards why are we doing what we're doing as opposed to here's how to move the levers on the money machine, then maybe it'll be a success. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Duff McDonald, the author of The Golden Passport, a phenomenal 600-page read. Uh, take the weekend to read it because it's, it's extremely compelling. Duff, what last thought would you like to leave with our audience? You know, I, uh, some of the response from people uh, has been that it is an overstated argument, inflammatory, uh, to try to sell books. Uh, while I would never deny uh, the desire to sell books, um, there's a reason that it seems to have uh, touched a nerve right now. Uh, you know, just consider, you know, it doesn't really matter where you are on the political spectrum. Consider the reasons that Donald Trump was just elected. Uh, the, there are millions of people in this country who feel that those that we have entrusted with leadership have let the rest of us down. And um, 
you know, you don't have to look too far in a list of influential and powerful, powerful people in any uh, realm of our society to find a whole lot of Harvard MBAs. And, um, you know, the message I guess I'd like to send is do your job as, not just as a salary, someone trying to make more money, do your job as a human being. That is such a profound statement. I, 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 thorough, I grew up in a grocery store, and um, it, it was all about the people in the neighborhood. Uh, Duff, I want to thank you for coming on the program. Um, we'd love to have you back, and we're going to uh, hopefully get you at Seton Hall to talk to our students there, because this is a very important message. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. And if you miss any part of this broadcast or would like to catch up on our other iPodcasts, go to iTunes U, Seton Hall University, Leadership with Darrell Gunter. Have a great weekend, and remember, leadership begins with you.